we had another aha moment and we're introduced to another opportunity, which is that of building a business to sell it. That was Leah Cups. Leah and David Cups are Amazon seller experts. And on this episode, they tell us about how that aha moment transitioned them from Amazon sellers to business sellers. I'm Randall Sylvie, and this is Deal Closers. What would you do if overnight you became a millionaire? Maybe you'd move to a new city, buy a new house or a car, or maybe you'd look for a way to make your newfound wealth grow. For David and Leah, they decided to use their cash to continue growing their wealth and pursue their business passions, buying and selling Amazon businesses. In 2014, David was working in a medical sales job and I was working at home as a freelance graphic designer. And we had a baby at the time. She was about 12 months old. And because of David's job, he was having to be away from home three to four nights a week. We were looking for an opportunity where we could have a business that allowed both of us to be home and work together. Around that time, I was meeting with a client design client who I was doing some packaging for, for a skincare line. As we were meeting, I asked her if she sold her products on Amazon. And she said, no, you know, Amazon's really difficult. I haven't looked into selling on Amazon. I went directly home and started Googling selling on Amazon because if it was difficult, maybe it was a good opportunity for us to get into. We ended up launching our first product on Amazon in the fall of 2014. The first business we had was a skincare line. And then the following year in 2015, we launched a baby products line. The businesses were very successful. They continued to grow. And we called it the Bring Daddy Home Project because it was an opportunity for our business to allow David to work from home, as I mentioned earlier. And so in 2016, David was able to retire from medical sales. And we were both working on the business at home. And where things really got exciting is our bookkeeper at the time came to us and said, have you ever thought about selling your business? I have this other client that sold their business and, you know, they were able to get a large sum of money. Have you guys thought about this? And we had not. And so we got connected with website closers at that time. And we ended up putting both businesses as a package together on the market At the end of 2016, we quickly went under a contract, and by 2017, we had sold our first business for a really great multiple. Once we did that, the next day, we decided that this is a great business model of building and selling businesses. Let's try and do it again. And so we launched three additional brands, and now we'll be selling two of those this year and potentially the third brand in 2021. So let's back up a minute. Obviously, Leah and David didn't just spontaneously have a million dollars deposited into their bank account, but rather over the course of one year of hard work on their first Amazon business. Starting out as business selling novices with just $500 in inventory, they were able to build a brand that made over a million dollars in sales within a year, and they've continued growing their wealth from there. I had to ask, what was it like to sell an Amazon business for the first time? The process was a little bit longer for us than some just because it was our first time. And so making sure we had 
everything together. We we didn't really start the businesses out, you know, with the idea of selling. To be honest, when we started out, we didn't really know what we were doing as far as like, you know, some of the bookkeeping and things like that. We hired our accountant about what a year after we started. So going back and just like getting It might have been two years. And yeah, probably two years. So going back and getting like making sure all the books were together and making sure everything was transparent and and just cleaning up everything. So the process took us a little bit longer because we were negotiating as well. And and we just really believed in our businesses and we really wanted to get the most out of them that we could because we felt like they were valuable. There were some things we didn't want to give in on that might have sped things up a little bit quicker mm-hmm. as far as uh, the selling process. But we kind of you know stuck to our guns and just kind of pushed back and negotiated. And we ended up with a 4.7 multiple. And we were really pleased with that. And we felt like the businesses were worth that. The process wasn't so bad. It was just really stressful as far as not knowing what the outcome was going to be, you know, trying to, I guess for us, it was a life-changing amount of money. So just trying to kind of risk all of that to negotiate and, and stuff, that part was really stressful. I, I thought, because I did a lot of the negotiations. So just kind of, you know, knowing that if it went wrong, that you might not get anything. And uh, knowing that if it went right, it was a life-changing amount, you know, when kind of like the future of your family and all of this stuff is kind of on the line. It, it was a little stressful, for sure. As far as the other part of the process, after the process, I guess, what it was like to wake up on that Monday morning with, with that much money in your account and just open up your computer and see that. Mm-hmm. I think we took one screenshot of it, one picture of that. It's kind of like we, we celebrated. We went on, we bought a uh, camper. It was one of the first things we bought. Because the whole goal for the Bring Daddy Home Project was to spend more time together as an entire family instead of me being gone all the time. And so we bought a camper and then uh, did a lot of unplugging with the, with the kids, you know, sitting around the fire and a lot of hiking and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we also bought a boat so I could uh, take my dad fishing and stuff. So a lot of good things came from that. Mm-hmm. It was a great feeling to know that you had that financial security, especially for us. But we really didn't relish in it very long. The day after the money was wired, we already had talk to suppliers and put in orders for our next product line. Because when we sold our business, not only was it a life-changing experience to sell the business, but as we were originally introduced to the Amazon opportunity, this again was another moment in our, I would say our business career, our life where we had another aha moment and we're introduced to another opportunity, which is that of building a business to sell it. So if we look at what we did originally when we built and sold our first business, we didn't really begin with the end in mind at that point. We just had a really successful business and found out that you could sell your business. We didn't know much more than that. But when we began our second journey, when we launched the three new brands, now we had an opportunity to structure the businesses in a way that would be appealing to a potential buyer that's kind of where we're at right now. That's kind of our MO is building businesses that we can then sell because of the way that it, it shortens the cycle of creating wealth. You know, and building the next brand, one of the things that we decided to do was we thought, you know, well, let's kind of reverse engineer this a little bit. So when we were in Vegas and we signed the paperwork for the sale of those two businesses, it just so happens that at that same conference, Jason was speaking on stage as well. 
So we caught up with Jason and Ron in a side room after they spoke. And we never got to see each other face to face. We talked on the phone a lot. And so we introduced ourselves. And then we said, hey, we just signed the paperwork. We're going to do this again. How can we reverse engineer this? What does the supply and demand look like for these businesses out there? What type of businesses and what should those businesses entail that would give us the highest valuation for a business? What should we create? How can we reverse engineer this? And they kind of walked us through some of the things that people were looking for, you know, whether it was like subscribe and save, you know, having return buyers, uh, building lists, different things like that. And so we tried to incorporate that, you know, like consumables and, and things into the businesses, the three businesses that we created. When it comes to building wealth, one of the challenges is figuring out how to reinvest the cash flow into a new brand. With this reinvestment, it's difficult to get ahead. The moment where the seller actually builds wealth comes from the company officially being sold. So, this begs the question, what makes a good seller? Number one, we plan our sales to show 100% year-over-year growth. So we actually have a specific outline or strategy where we say, okay, if in year one we're going to do 100000 our goal for year two is to launch enough products to do 500000 in gross revenue. And then by year two or three, we want to do at least a million dollars in gross revenue. And then, you know, year three to four, we want to do at least one to two million in gross revenue. So each year we're planning our product launches and our sales strategy based on 100% year over year growth. So that's the number one point of our strategy. The number two is we try to identify product opportunities where we can incorporate subscribe and save, as David mentioned earlier, and really identify opportunities where we can have repeat customers. Because according to what we've been told by Jason and Ron, even specifically, is that if you can show that you have repeat customers, that provides a sense of stability for a potential buyer. The third component of that would be that we have systems and automations in place that are going to streamline the transfer of the business. Because we have had an experience of selling a business, one of the problems that we identified was this kind of cumbersome process of bringing on the new owner, teaching them what the aspects of the business are, how we do those aspects of the business. So one thing that we've done is we've created company wiki sites and we've created video and step-by-step SOPs for every aspect of our business. So that when a new owner comes on board, we can just do this complete, almost like a brain dump of everything we do, and it's all organized in a searchable database. So for example, if a buyer needed to know how to ship inventory into Amazon, or maybe they wanted to know how to do a Facebook Messenger broadcast to our audience, those are all things that we've put in place to make it really appealing and turnkey for a customer. I'll let David speak to some of the marketing efforts that we've done to make our business more more easy to sell. Well, I would say that the point of making it turnkey is really kind of our mantra. We start from the very beginning now, trying to put systems in place to make things turnkey for somebody that's not just an Amazon expert. Right now, when we're talking with interested buyers of the two brands that we're selling, we have a mixture in there. We have a mixture of people that are Amazon experts, we have uh, people that have never sold on Amazon. But one of the things we tell them is, hey, we've, we've done this in a way that it's really easy for you to step in. So we contract each of our team and we have a really small, like slim team, but our team is contracted so they can 
keep doing what they're doing if they want that person to keep doing their job. Or we'll just take them on for our other businesses and, and they'll keep doing that with our other businesses if they already have somebody else that they want to put in that position. Another thing we did is we vetted out a CEO position because one of the questions we got in our first sale was, how do we replace you? You know, we want you to stay on and we know like what our strengths are and we know what our weaknesses are. If there's anything that we figured out along the way, it's what are our strengths. And we know that we don't like managing large teams. We don't like dealing with a lot of person management and trying to keep everybody on track and trying to like hire and fire and all that stuff. We don't enjoy that part as much. What we enjoy is the creativity of developing and creating a new brand. We like to bring brands to life and just take our ideas and put together this brand. So we know that's our strength. So we try to focus on our strength and build these brands up to a certain point to where we know it's still manageable with our small team. And we know that by doubling year over year, by the time we get to a certain point, we know, okay, with this many products, it's going to be harder to manage with our smaller team this many products, this much revenue, that's our target goal for selling the brand at that point. What I started to say was we vetted out a CEO position, somebody that had just as much, if not more knowledge than us and experience and somebody that kind of manages a couple of other Amazon businesses. They can easily step in and take our place so that we can move on to do what we enjoy doing, which is building more brands and selling them. And so that way it replaces us and the buyer kind of gets everything that they want if they want it. It's kind of like an a la carte menu in a way. Do you need a CEO? Okay, we got one. You know, check this box. You know, you need you need a social media manager, you know, then you got that. And and so they can just kind of check off like what they want, what part of our team they want, and then we'll just keep the rest and just keep doing what we do and hire new positions for the ones that they keep. And I think there's one last component that's a bit of an intangible and yet adds a lot of value to the business. And that is building a brand and building audiences. So when we launch our companies, we put together beautiful, well-designed brands that are going to put a cohesive company forward that can be expanded. So for example, everything from our logo to our packaging to our product line opportunities those are all put together as if we're building a large Procter & Gamble type of brand. We also put a lot of focus on building audiences because in our particular space on Amazon, where a lot of people struggle is they're not able to control their Amazon sales because Amazon doesn't readily give all that information to the sellers. And so what we've done is we've built up our Facebook Messenger audiences, our Facebook audiences, our email list, our Instagram followers. We've put a lot of time and energy and money into building audiences so that we can have more control of how our sales are grown. So, for example, if we have a new product to launch, instead of spending a bunch of money on Amazon PPC, we'll go to our audience and say, hey, we have a new product. Would you like to try it out? And by doing that, we have a lot more control over the sales on Amazon. Well, we also, with that part about the audience, you know, there's only so much you can do, only so much you can control. You can get your margins as high as you can possibly get them. You can get your marketing costs down as low as you possibly can and still like be growing and find like the least expensive cost per click on whatever marketing platform you're going to use. You know, you can use the email, you can do all these different things to get your costs down and to make your margins better and to make your EBITDA as high as it can be. But there are certain things that you can do along the way that are beyond EBITDA, that you can increase the value of your company that aren't 
in the numbers, you know, for instance, the audiences that Leo was just talking about. So we're big believers on growing those other assets that aren't included in the numbers because there's a lot of value in those. Having a large messenger audience or having a large number of people that have opted into SMS, which is text message marketing, or having like a large email list or having a large Instagram following, all of that gives you control, especially if you're an online seller of getting reviews for your products. And it's all within terms of service. You know, you don't have to break terms of service when you have an audience that likes your brand. And a lot of people make that mistake of thinking that they have to break terms of service and then they risk their brand getting shut down. The last thing they want that a buyer wants is to see that you've done all this stuff that is against terms of service that Amazon could find out and then shut down a brand after they've taken it over or that the reviews start going away because they were collected in a, in a way that wasn't within terms of service. So we try to do everything to where everything, every product is kind of cross-sellable. So we can cross-sell something that somebody buys, cross-sell them another product, and we can keep recycling these audience, keep building the audience, but also keep using the audience. Once somebody comes into our funnel, comes into the audience, we can sell them for a long time on new products and new things and get them to buy other things and get them to buy the same product over and over again as well. That's really our goal. And all of that, in our opinion, by being able to use that audience to get reviews, the more reviews you get on Amazon or on any online business, really, the more revenue you're going to get from that product, especially if it's a higher rating rating of reviews. So we're getting reviews and then also having the ability to spike ranking on keywords, like again, whether it's on Google or whether it's on Amazon or whatever, to be able to show up higher in the rankings for the keywords that you want to is something that you can also do by having your own list, just telling people to search for this keyword when they buy. And they're helping you out that way as well. So there's a lot of a lot of different things that you can do by having your own list that bring more revenue and more value to your company. Looking at Amazon specifically, how did you come to choose selling on Amazon? And why would you maybe recommend people also choose Amazon as a platform to sell their products? Well, Amazon is the largest online retailer in the world. And Amazon has a lot of customers. So the reason that we chose to Amazon is because it is the easiest and fastest way to launch a product. To build that kind of relationship with the customer where they come to your personal website and they trust you enough to give them their money is really difficult. But there are many people that already have their credit cards in file with Amazon that have Amazon Prime. And so we are basically borrowing Amazon's not only their credibility, but also their logistics. We ship our products into Amazon and they fulfill all the customer orders. So Amazon just really has done everything possible to make it easier for brands like the ones that we build to launch. Amazon versus, let's say, our own website. One of the things that we've always left open intentionally, really, is we don't try to push traffic to our website. That's just not a strength of ours. I'm sure there are people, we know people that do really well selling from their website. That's just not a strength of ours. Could we develop it? Maybe. But if we put money, advertising dollars towards that, then that's money that we might not be able to put on like driving traffic towards Amazon. And it's kind of the 80-20 rule in a way. You know, we put more of our focus where we're going to make the most money. And from our experience, we would spend a lot more 
driving traffic to our website, then we would just take advantage of the traffic that is already shopping on Amazon. So it just makes it more profitable for us. We try to do this uh, within two and a half years. We try to grow and sell uh, brands within two and a half years. If we're not really hyper-focused and we don't really put a lot of our attention on the things that make us the most money, then it's, it's really hard to get revenue where it needs to be and profits where they need to be in two and a half years if we don't focus on the bigger things, the things that make the most. And it leaves opportunities for a new buyer as well that might have the strengths of... Uh, retail, for example. Of, yeah, or retail is another one. We, we usually try to have like more than one channel, like sometimes not just Amazon, like you know maybe an, another online retailer. In our first brands, we actually got the baby brand into uh, Bye Bye Baby. Bye Bye um, Baby. And baby we had it online on Baby yeah. Zara's and Bye Bye Baby. And then we uh, were able to get on the shelves of Bye Bye Baby before it sold there, which, you know, is a good negotiating tool there. Help to, you know, of course, people always want to push back and try to devalue your company. And when you're getting on the shelves of Bye Bye Baby right before the transition, that kind of helps push deals through a little bit. That's why our main focus is Amazon, even though we might have some other smaller focus, some other channels and things to kind of help things along to give some diversity. I've always thought of the comparison of, you know, here we are in Indiana, we're in Noblesville, Indiana. So, you know, do I want to put a billboard in Indiana or would I want to put one on Times Square in New York City? So it's kind of like that. Just go to where the people are. For a first time seller on Amazon, all of this probably sounds overwhelming and it might be hard to know where to begin. For new sellers, how should they be spending their time? I think they should spend their time teetering off of like what I said, you know, a second ago with kind of the 80-20 rule, you know, spending most of your time on the things that are most impactful. So every day, I think a seller should ask themselves, what can I do today that is going to help impact my business to help it to grow? And looking at the bigger things for the most part, like what can I do to grow my business today? And just every day, just kind of asking your, that question, like, what can I do to make it better? What can I do to make it grow? You know, and always having kind of the end in mind as far as selling, because we truly believe that's the best way to get your money now out of the businesses is, you know, instead of saving little by little over, over a lot of years, just getting a large payout now and then just doing it again for as long as you can. I would actually even be a little bit more specific on what I would say to new sellers if your intention is to sell your business, I would sit down and identify exactly how much you want to sell your business for. So as an example, if you want to sell your business for $3 million in three years, I would actually sit down and say, okay, how many products that are bringing $10,000 a month in revenue do I need to launch in year one in order to hit that goal? So let's say in year one, you're launching 10 products that do $10,000 each. So over the first 12 months, you've achieved $100,000 in sales. Well, now you have a million dollar business. Okay, so now I'm saying, okay, in year two, I need to launch an additional 10 products that do an average of $10,000 a month in revenue so that I can then grow my business to $2 million in revenue. So I believe it's really important to sit down and identify exactly what products you need to launch from day one. And then once you have that information, as David said, looking at the 80-20 rule is what can I do with my advertising, my products? You know, what can I do to move the needle towards that goal? 
So I think it's really, really important to have a specific plan with a specific launch strategy, a specific marketing strategy in place to achieve a specific goal. Because if you don't have that, you're going to be chasing all these side opportunities that look Mm -hmm. good, or you're going to be buying every software under the sun. And you'll find all kinds of ways to spend money on your business because you don't have a specific goal in mind. And so I think setting that goal and being really intentional about what products you're launching, how you're spending your budget, what your net profit should be is very important if you want to build a sellable business. This is solid advice for building a sellable business in general. However, as COVID-19 takes its toll on the economy, it goes without saying new challenges come into play. Our uh, advice to people is to, you know, observe, take note of the things that are happening with what Amazon is doing, learn from it. If you're somebody that is selling and you're getting negatively affected by it, there are other things you can do, whether it's like doing like fulfilled by merchant instead of fulfilled by Amazon. You know, you can always look at using your website or different things like that until things recover. There's a lot of different options out there. Specifically with e-commerce, we're seeing a surge of people coming online. And as those people get used to the habit of online shopping, they're going to see how easy it is. And in the end, I believe that after all this is over, we're going to see more people coming online to buy on Amazon and other online channels. You know, if it's a question of like, should you be an online seller or should you start? I don't think that there's any question that, you know, selling online has longevity and it's only going to continue to grow even if we have this little hiccup here thanks to david and leah cups for taking the time to talk to us today about their experiences selling amazon businesses and growing their personal wealth feel free to send us any questions you have about this topic or anything else pertaining to buying and selling e-commerce companies we'd be happy to explore the answers till next time this has been deal closers deal closers